0: go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: It's not our fault. So the reason that this happens is because we have been taught incorrectly that when we're able to quiet our little ones And calm them that means everything's okay you're listening to the mindful
0: mama podcast episode 182 today we're talking to Tasha Shore about listening to boys welcome to the mindful mama podcast here it's about becoming a less irritable more joyful parent At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. Welcome back. Welcome back, dear listener. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the summer. I'm back from France. It is so dang hot in Delaware and humid. France was not humid. So it's a little tough. It's a little challenging here, but I am so excited for you to Be here for this conversation. I really had so much fun talking to Tasha Shore, and this is for you if you have girls too. I mean, I got so much out of it, and I have two girls. So, but the truth is, it really is time to be more conscious about the way we are raising our boys. Um, Culturally, there's you know there's so much shaming going on for boys because we don't want them to grow up you know quote soft, but is that what really helps? Right. What do boys really need to be emotionally healthy? And how can we provide that for them? So it's a really crucial conversation. I think that you're going to enjoy it a lot. I want you to look for um, a few crucial takeaways that I got. So, you know, uh, it's really important to look at, quote unquote, bad behavior as a cry for help. We talk about what to do when your child hits you. So how do you deal with that? And then how uh, listening to each other can help us be that safe space for our boys. So this conversation really runs a full gamut and it is for moms of girls too. I could, I could re-listen and have, get so, so much out of it. So, I, I know that you're going to like this. Who is Tasha Shore, by the way? She creates happy households by building your parenting confidence and helping parents shift boys' behaviors through connection. And she's the co-author of Listen, Five Simple Tools for Meeting Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. So you listen all the way to the end of this conversation. You're going to get so, so much out of it. And But before we dive in, I just want to mention that the Mindful Parenting free training is coming up soon. It's going to be running. We're going to be live on September 13th or 16th, sorry, through 19th, 16th through 19th. And you can sign up for that at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. And when the free training is over, we are going to be opening up the Mindful Parenting membership for the first time. And I am so excited about this because this is a way to make this work, continuous work that you are doing and taking that time and makes it really accessible to everybody by making it a membership program. And we are going to have not only the live Mindful Parenting course in there, but we're going to have the daily practice course in there and continuous access to me for live coaching. And so you get almost like uh, two extra live podcast Q&As with me every month. It's a really exciting change that I decided to make to make the Mindful Parenting course something that it can serve more people. And so I'm so excited for this. So keep an eye out. If you're not signed up for my email, make sure you get signed up at mindfulmamamentor.com or uh, through the free training and we'll let you know about it. But it is going to be life-changing as the the course has been, but, but to really take this work and to to give you continue the continuous support you that you need, because the challenges don't stop. I can honestly, very honestly attest to that. you know, like if you saw our uh, my Instagram from the France home exchange experience over the last four weeks, There's all these beautiful smiling faces, but you know what? There was plenty of arguments and there's challenges and there's, you know, there's yelling and frustrations that happen and that happens for all of us. Um, And we can, but we can start to like shift and we can use tools to make it better. So that is what the course and the membership is all about. So you can sign up at Mindful parentingcourse.com slash free training for the free training that will really shift the way you're thinking about things I promise all right so no more about this on to this episode Tasha thank you so much for coming on the mindful mama
1: podcast thank you so much for having
0: me I am excited to talk to you because you, you know, there's a lot of information in the world about girls, like as a mom of girls, like there's so much stuff for girls. There's like, there's like rebel stories, you know, stories for rebel girls and all this stuff about girls, helping girls to be braver and, and, and step up and all this great stuff. And, and you talk about boys and I do. The thinking about like, well, boys, you know, they've got some specific challenges in this world and they've got some, you know, they've got some stuff going on. And I was wondering if you could kind of speak a little bit to like, what are, what are some of the specific challenges for, that boys go through that, that we should be paying attention to as parents?
1: For me, I want to just back up a little bit. You had mentioned before we started that you wanted to talk a little bit about how I was parented. And I feel like maybe Mm. it makes sense to kind of start there because the story kind of um, weaves together, if that's okay.
0: That sounds perfect. Um, I I always want to know how people were parented themselves because it's amazing. It's it's so relevant. It makes a big
1: difference. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was raised mostly by my mom as a single mom. And we were very much the dynamic duo. And for several years, we actually lived with another woman who was very close friends with my mom. And I used to call her my other mother. Um, They were not in a relationship, I mean, an intimate relationship, but they were very, very close. And we were like this little family and we went camping together and did stuff together. And that's who I came home to at night. Um, My mom was very politically active in her work as a reporter. And we would go you know, to protests in San Francisco. And it was very, it was in the 70s. There was a lot of women rights, women's rights um, activism going on. And that was very much the world that I grew up in. Fast forward to college, and I was actually a women's studies major and a language studies minor at Santa Cruz, at UC Santa Cruz. Um, and I continued to walk that path of feminism in a really intentional kind of a way. And it was, um, it was also intellectual, but it was also that, you know, had that teenage edge of, I know, and this is the right way, right? Because that's the beauty of being Mm. a teenager is, you know, everything, (laughs) as I am noticing with my teenagers. (laughs) So anyway. (laughs) I miss that feeling. <laughs> I remember that feeling so well. <laughs> challenging to parent, but I, I do miss it myself, I have to say, which is maybe why it's challenging to parent. But um, anyway, so I, I continued on this feminist path and it was always very much like you talked about at the beginning, you know, how do you stand up and let your voice be heard and, and not let the patriarchy dictate how you look and what you do and who you are and all of that stuff. And then I, I never thought I would get married. I never thought I would get married. And then I, I had this, I have this husband who essentially like hunted me down. I mean, he didn't exactly hunt me down, but um, and he would tell this story different. But like the short version to me is that he sort of like, eh, 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 until finally he was just like, okay, when you're ready to get married, just tell me. And then he just like sat there for several years until I proposed. <laughs> I have this great so, image of him like all
0: hunter-gatherer
1: like finding you. Know? <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> and and so then so so here I am like married and then we have kids and I'm pregnant. And um in addition to 9-11, which happened during my first pregnancy, which was terrifying and a whole nother story, at some point during that pregnancy, I suddenly froze because I had this thought pop into my mind. What if I'm having a boy? Mm. And like, it wasn't like something was wrong with boys, or I didn't like boys, or I was actually very much a tomboy growing up. And lots of my friends were boys. I preferred a lot of the time to hang out with boys. Um, but this, this, this thought popped into my mind. And, I, and it really stunned me and I picked up the phone and called my mom because that's what you do when you're a dynamic duo, even when you're married, because you're still like attached to your dynamic <laughs> duo mom. And you say, like I did, mom, what if it's a boy? And then she was silent on the other end. And there was just silence on both ends for like, I don't know, it was felt like a year it was probably like 10 sec. Sorry, 10 seconds. And then she just said, don't worry, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I mean, now I can laugh about it. But there, I just thought, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. It almost like it just sort of rocked my whole paradigm of life, right? Of, of how I grew up. There just wasn't this this masculine figure. There wasn't the father figure who was uber present. My father was, you know, in and out of my life, and we later, you know, became very close. But I mean. I just didn't know what I was going to do with that. And so to your question of what kind of, of struggles do boys face, I think what I discovered as I started to parent my boys in the way that I was parented, which was very much listening to all of my feelings. My mom, I was, I was lucky enough to have a mom who knew to listen and um, we'll get into this bit later because I, we're going to talk about listening partnerships a bit. And there's this big piece of work that I've been working on personally that I'll share because I just think it, it really highlights the, the, value, the value of listening partnerships. But I don't even know how to, how to say it exactly. But essentially, like I parented the way that I was parented, like most of us do. And I, and I listened. And what I noticed is that there was a lot more shaming going on around boys, right? So what happens is... From a very, very early age, their feelings get shut down. We have much more tolerance for girls showing their feelings than boys, even when they're doing um, the same activity. Hmm. So for example, uh, I, I've shared this story. I don't know if i shared this story with you before, but I ha- one of my boys uh, was playing soccer and he got cleated like hard. And I believe it was in the neck. I can't even remember, but it was like hmm. somewhere high and it was nasty and it hurt. And he started crying and his coach reprimanded him for it. Essentially, he said, if you don't, you know, you need to get it together or you're not going to play the next game. And, you know, (sighs) that's so messed up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, that wouldn't have happened with a girl. It just doesn't happen that way. Mm. Mm -hmm. um there's much more like even if it's like a tough soccer game it's like put the arm around the girl and say hey hey okay have a seat for a second you're good you're good maybe they don't make the space for the feelings but they don't shame the feelings Mm -hmm. in the same way and you know I won't go into that detail I just want to say into that incident in detail I do just want to say that I I didn't go then and shame the coach I did talk to him and explain to him what i believe deeply because I've seen it over and over again, which is that when we allow our children to actually feel those feelings deeply and release the hurt, that they're able to get back up and back out on the field, both literally and metaphorically, much more quickly than they would if we shut them down.
0: Are you frustrated with parenting? Do you want to practice conscious, compassionate parenting, but you don't know how? It's not easy, and there's no roadmap for this. Until now. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I know how frustrating it is because I've been there. I struggled as a young mom, and when I found myself yelling and triggered by my child, I knew there had to be a better way. And there is. Mindful parenting is different from other parenting trainings. They don't tell you that all of that good advice is as good as useless when our internal stress response is triggered. Mindful parenting teaches you research-based tools and practices to reduce your stress response so that you can respond rather than react. And it teaches you exactly what to say so that you can create willing cooperation from your child. You can learn more and enroll at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And you can join us for a free live training coming up soon where you'll learn why your kids don't listen to you, how your brain undermines your parenting and how to create cooperative kids without losing your temper. Sign up now at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. I'll see you there. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. Is called Understood Explains. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. And you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. Well, what about I, you know, it's interesting because I am so with you and so many like in a hundred thousand percent that is so true. You know, we need to be able to feel our feelings. We need to be able to acknowledge them for us to be able to release, release them and not have them all gunk up the rest of our lives. Right. But what I'm trying, as I've been trying to like understand this issue, I've been listening to men and it, what I can gather and I obviously come from this from a very imperfect understanding, but what, what, from my imperfect understanding what i gather from men is that they're worried about they're worried about the world being tough and their boys being able to hold themselves in the world and to be be tough themselves in a tough world because they don't want their boys to be picked on and hurt um, because it can be a little, I guess, Lord of the Fliesy out there. So, what, what, what do you say to what do you say to the men and the dads who are who push back against this idea of of letting boys feel their feelings, of listening to boys, of of allowing this? What do you say to them?
1: I say that I get it. I think that you really did, you know, with your, quote unquote, imperfect understanding, which by the way, we all have, you know, I say to them, you're absolutely right. I get why you would really be hesitant about parenting this way. And when we work one-on-one, and I do work with a lot of dads or in my community, we talk about or not even so much, well, we do talk because usually, because men, most men have shut, had their emotions shut down from such an early age, they do have a hard time accessing their feelings to do the healing work. So we often talk, start with the talking, but we talk about, you know, what happened to you? What, or, we, or what would have happened to you if, you know, whatever happened to your son had happened and, and you had responded in the way he did? or you know what did happen to you when you were hurt on that soccer field and had to keep it all together or didn't keep it all together what were the repercussions of that i mean usually there are stories that come out you're right they want to protect their boys and and of course we all want to protect our boys but the next step then is realizing that they survived they're okay and actually we need to kind of zoom out and look at the picture in a broader with a broader lens, right? We need to look at, in my opinion, the the, the wide world, like what's going on in the wide world. And you know, the, one of the reasons that I got into this work, in addition to having these three boys that I had to figure out what, what to do with, <laughs> is that I had this epiphany one morning when I was reading the paper, and it was just, you know, rape, murder, terror attacks, one thing after another. And they were all perpetrated at the you know, the hands of of men. And I had this epiphany and I'm not saying they all are, there are women who who do these types of things as well, but by and large, it's men. Mm -hmm. And um, I had this thought, like this image that popped into my mind that every one of those men at some point was just a sweet little boy. Like what happened? What, What happened between point A and point B? How did they get here? How did they get so hurt that they ended up committing these crimes? Let's say. Mm-hmm. Because I do believe that hurt people hurt people. I do believe that people are all born good, and mm-hmm. you know I'm not naive. I know that there are all sorts of oppressions that sit on uh, on on men and and men of color and men um of of different classes and and you know these oppressions sit in different ways and and i'm not I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about it at all, but I do or and I do feel like there is something that we can do. And I wanted to connect those dots for parents because I get parents who come to me all the time and they are terrified because of what they see in the papers. They're terrified. They've got their kids. If their kids, let's say, struggling with aggression, they've got him committed. He's like already, you know, a juvenile delinquent. He's behind bars. They're terrified. If he's if he's hitting me now, what's he going to do when he's 16? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. so I really try yeah. to look at the bigger picture. I mean, and my mission is really you know i say over and over again to create a more peaceful world one sweet boy at a time and we do that by shifting the way we parent our boys and and mainly by listening to their feelings so that that big beautiful rainbow of feelings that we all have access to when we're born doesn't get shut down doesn't get reduced to to anger essentially so
0: when i think about when i think about like kids and their feelings or any kind of people and their feelings You know, I'm trying to follow this idea. Like, if traditionally we're just saying to boys and and to a lot of girls too, but especially to boys, you know, don't feel those feelings, shut it down. I always use the analogy, and I really like this the way it works for me visually. Is this idea that our feelings, you know, when we're trying to kind of shove them down, it's kind of like taking an inflatable beach ball and pushing it under the pool water. and uh-huh. what happens is it kind of slips out in some awkward side angle and then it pops up even higher than before with more force like in a way you didn't expect it right and I love that. that our yeah that our feelings are like that and so this idea of 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 suppressing them that that it comes up like that i mean do, i mean i guess what i'm saying is like if we look at sort of the big picture i mean i, I don't know sometimes i think like Almost all problems in the world can, that are perpetrated by human beings can be drawn you know, you can kind of you know figure out a little map back to someone not being able to take care of their difficult feelings.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree. Can't, so, argue with, can't argue with you there
0: yeah, yeah so so when we look at your just like you're saying, when we zoom out to this big picture, when we look at the wider world, how do they get so hurt? That they commit these crimes, and you're saying uh, part of the answer is to listen to them so tell me tell me more about that because I'm imagining a mom or a dad dealing with a little boy who's freaking out about something or is upset about something and you know how do we connect the dots between them being more emotionally regulated and listening to them
1: right well first I just want to say that um, I really do want to underscore the fact that I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the, the, the men who are out, you know, committing terrorist attacks or, or, or rape or murder are like, oh, okay, if we just listened, everything would be fine. I do, I do really want to be clear to your listeners that I I do understand that it's much more complicated than that. There are other, other bits that go into it. I'm not sort of putting this out as a, as a, cure all. But I do feel like if we start parenting this way from the beginning, that we can avoid most of that. And I'm
0: glad uh, you said that. And I just want to interject a really interesting fact here, which you probably know, Tasha. And one of the things is actually speaking of like uh, men who do like heinous crimes and things like that that one of the things that, uh, there was a a researcher who studies play, I would love to get him on the podcast, but he taught, he went and researched all these, these. Hunter, you just
1: cut out on me.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, there was a researcher studied play and he studied these, uh, murders, right. And he discovered that like a hundred percent of them had been, had their play had been suppressed as a child their free play, which I thought was, that is so fascinating. I mean, it was a small study, but it was like a hundred percent of the people that were in this maximum security (laughs) prison. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so interesting. I mean, it is so complex. There's so many
1: facets to it, but. Right. And um, there's also, there's also a bit about connection, right? What we see with a lot of these, these men is that they're very isolated. Yeah, they're very, very isolated, and 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 that's terrifying because we are social beings. We need each other not just to survive. Like babies will die, not just of hunger, but they will die from lack of touch and um, you know connection. Uh, But we need that to thrive. We need to survive and thrive. And there aren't a lot of options for men to get that in, in certainly in American society. And I would bet to say in most Western societies as well, mostly like sex is the only way to be close. Mm. And that's problematic. That yeah. is very problematic. So I also wanted to just say in response to your question is that it's not our fault. So the reason that this happens is because we have been taught incorrectly that when we're able to quiet our little ones and calm them, that means everything's okay. Mm. But in Mm -hmm. fact... there could be a lot, right? That beach ball could be, you know, blopping around under the water, (laughs) trying to, trying to get out in all these ways and you're just like sitting on it and you're sitting on it and you're sitting on it, you're trying to keep it down so you're not seeing any of the mess at the moment. But as soon as, you know, one little thing happens and your tush, you know, skirts over to the right a little bit, the whole thing pops up, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that surface level of like just surface behavior or, or, or everything, uh, people are following the rules and everything's quiet. It doesn't mean that there's a, that connection, that, that ability to take care of those feelings and process them in some kind of healthy
1: way. Right. And we also are, are in a hard place as parents because we judge each other intensely, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We judge each other. There's a lot of shame. We feel like if our if our child is is acting, you know, quote unquote bad in public, like we feel like it's a reflection of our, our parenting or our, our lack of parenting skills. We 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 have a real um hard time like drawing that line between, okay, I'm a parent and here's my child, and he's going to act in certain ways, and that's not necessarily a reflection of me. Um, it's a call for help and I need to, I'm the adult, so I've got to figure out how to move in and help him here. But parenting, I mean, what other, what other job is there in the world where some stranger will walk up to you and tell you how to do it? <laughs>
0: I'm racking my brain, but I'm not thinking of it. But yeah, yeah. It's less now, though. Didn't we? We used to kind of be, actually, when we were a more connected community, there would be, you know, or I guess the, the neighbors would just say, would, would parent for you, right? When
1: all the kids are out in the neighborhood. <laughs> but you're right. right but it's this, intense this still judging. happens. I intense. hear it from clients all the time. Yeah. If they're out shopping and yes. And, and oftentimes um, it's in the form, interestingly enough, of trying to distract and quiet the child. So in that sense, they feel like they're helping, when in fact, that might be helping the parent feel less shame in the moment, but it's not helping the emotional healing of the child. Now, I do want to say that my my mission isn't to have all of your listeners go out and just listen to their kids screaming all over the world. Um, I understand that that's not, you know, that's, that's not like a way that we're going to function. But when you start listening to your little boy or your little girl um, in this way, you can start to notice changes in their behavior. And you can also be um, thoughtful about how you guide it and where you guide it to happen. So I often, you know, go out hearkening back to the fathers and and gosh, being scared to listen because they're worried that they're gonna set their their boys up to be victims. We talk about working through struggles that they face at home first. So in other words, let's say um, their boy, gosh, tries to hit them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we would talk about uh, holding a limit and, and really listening to whatever upset is driving that behavior. And in the privacy of your own home, if you can get the emotional support that you need, it's much easier to do than out in public because we feel so ashamed if our child hits us out in public. So I try... Excuse me. I try to guide parents to start as much as they can by doing this in the home, and then once they feel more confident, we can bring it out into the public realm. And what I've noticed is that while um, our fear generally is that we're going to be judged by other parents, if the parent stays calm, even when the child is going completely ballistic, people actually perceive that in a positive way. Like if we, if you, you know, if you stand back, Hunter, and you think about. Um, a scene in a grocery store where this little boy is like screaming, you know, I want Cheerios. I want the Cheerios. And he's like kicking his feet on the floor and like throwing a big tantrum. And the parent who's with him is like screaming, you know, you stop that right now. You can't be, you you get over here right now. Like, that makes you very uncomfortable, I'm going to vouch to say. Absolutely. (laughs) But if the child is screaming and having a tantrum about wanting the Cheerios and having to have the Cheerios, and they're going to die and they hate you and all the other things that they'll say. Um, But the parent is calm, getting down to their level, you know, maybe kneeling down and saying, sweetie, no Cheerios today, no Cheerios. Um, You look at that very differently because the adult has things under control. Mm -hmm. The child's quote unquote out of control. It looks like that at least they're actually just healing right from a disappointment, which is fine. If a bit messy and loud, but if the parent has their stuff together, then we don't feel so uncomfortable as a bystander.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite uh, things I ever saw on social media just kind of popped up somewhere I remember seeing a picture of some celebrity dad and he had, he had posted a picture of him and some family members in a public place sort of standing in a circle around his toddler daughter. And she was just on the ground out in public in some public place having a crazy tantrum. And he was so skillful and he, they were just standing there keeping her safe Mm -hmm. and, that was it. There was nothing else to do. Like she was just, you know, she had lost it. Her was having a brainstorm and, and there was nothing else to do. And he posted about that. And I was like, felt so thankful because what a beautiful example. Like there's, there's not a lot to do in this situation when your are a toddler has reached the end of their limit, which happens pretty easily. And, and, and just keeping her safe, but not shaming her.
1: Beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's another thing that I want to say about boys that I was just thinking about, which is that there's a lot of fear that we have around boys' behavior when it goes south. (laughs) Um, And whether it be in school where boys struggle a huge amount, um, you know, or at friends' houses, the playground or whatever it is, it's like a lot of times the adults around get scared and oftentimes the men get scared. It doesn't so much matter why, but oftentimes the men are getting scared because of the reason that we talked about earlier. Like, like they're feeling like they need to protect them from being, um, you know, victimized mm-hmm. later. So they they want to be really stern and strict with them. But the the women oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes have a lot of fear arise in them or in us, I should say, because you know most of us, as we've seen from the Me Too movement, most of us have a history of some sort of violence or disrespect against us. And there are times when we felt very um, vulnerable, okay? Mm-hmm. And we get reminded of that when our boys yell and scream and hit. And as they get bigger and bigger, it gets scarier and scarier. But the problem is is that if we don't go back and do our own healing and we stay scared, our boys get scared more scared. Because mm-hmm. their, their, their behavior, whether that's aggression or whatever, um, is really a call for help. And when we, the adults in the area, just get scared and can't figure out how to come in and help, that's terrifying for him. It's like, oh my God, I'm completely out of control. I'm trusting this adult to keep my world together. And she is completely losing it too. Like Things must really be bad. And then the behavior gets worse as the fear gets more and more intense of fear on both sides. So we have to break that cycle of fear, which is why it's so important for us to understand um, that so many of these behaviors that we see in our little boys are normal. And even though they might trigger us in particular ways, we do need as the adult of the, as the adults to be able to get ourselves into what I call good enough parenting shape to be able to move towards them, even when those behaviors are ugly. And one of the things that I work with parents on all the time is empowering them to always be advocates for their boys, even when their boy's behavior is crap. In other words, just because your boy did something wrong doesn't mean you can't advocate for him. He is still good. The behavior might not be, but he is good. And when the world gets confused and feels like because he expressed a certain you know, quote unquote, bad behavior, he's a bad kid, we start getting into big, big trouble.
0: So you're saying that a lot of, the, a lot of behaviors that people are scared of are normal. So can you walk, uh, walk us through that? Like what are the behaviors that people worry about that are normal behaviors that we should worry about a little less?
1: So the aggression, aggression with little ones is huge
0: yeah because we think they're where did like I remember thinking like they've never seen me hit they don't I don't hit anyone, you know because so much of parenting is modeling, and we know that we know that, but then we see this aggression come out of a family where there's no aggression in hitting at all, and so it's it's frightening, and I see right. that a lot
1: right, and so you know what I like to do with parents is is help them understand where aggression is coming from what what that really is because when we when we stop being scared of it and start understanding it, then again, we can start moving towards that little boy. We can move towards him with love. We can show him that we're going to keep him safe. Actually that it's our job to keep him safe because he's showing us that, like you said, there's a brainstorm going on, right? His cortex has shut down. He's not thinking he's running on emotion and he is scared out of his mind. So we have to then be the one to move in as the adult and and listen and help him through. Keep everyone safe. I mean, I'm a big proponent of limit setting. When anybody who knows me, you know, I, I'm like the superhero of limit setting. I I am the go-to gal for limit setting. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel confident about it. I feel strong about it. I feel like limits are gifts. Um, I feel like they are one of the most important things we can do for our little boys, but and or and girls. But but one thing that people don't understand is that. We as parents get to decide what those limits are, but we have no control over how our little ones feel about them. Mm -hmm. No control. And so what we need to do is be the one who decides what makes sense because that's our job. How do we keep our child safe? How do we help them grow into the best person that they can be? But also, how do we get ourselves, like I said, into good enough parenting shape that when our child doesn't like that limit, we have the calm presence to be able to stay with them and allow them to show us how much, you know, they really, 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 really wanted that new toy that we said we're not going to get them. Or how much they really, really, really hate that flavor of ice cream. Yeah. I mean, or whatever it is, they don't want their sandwich cut that way Or, you know, they hit their sibling because, um, you know, the sibling is getting all the attention or the sibling, you know, got a second serving of something that they didn't or got to go to a movie and they didn't or or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But we we have to be the adult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Set, setting those limits with, with empathy, but you we we're talking about that idea of um, the, you know, aggression and that aggression is normal. So where does it come from? What are some of the places that it comes
1: from in little kids? So aggression essentially is fear. Mm-hmm. Aggression is really fear. And with fear comes the sense of being alone almost always and if we understand that then we if we can shift what our goal is when our child is acting aggressively so instead of going into fear mode if we can say oh here's a scared child in front of me mm. we have the ability to respond differently right cuz just think about how you respond to somebody when you're scared of them versus when you're noticing that they're scared mm-hmm. right if i'm if i feel scared of somebody i'm going to get the hell out right but If I notice that they're scared, I'm going to move towards them and see if I can help. That's where I'm able to access empathy much more easily. So I can see, okay, here's a child he's trying to hit. Well, he must be really scared and he must be feeling alone and disconnected. So if instead of my goal being to stop the hitting, I'm not saying that that's not what we want ultimately in the end, but if I shift my focus from, Stopping the hitting. Besides, of course, you know, putting a hand on the hand so it doesn't—you don't get hurt. For example, you do have to keep yourself safe. But if we make our 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 uh, sort of the image in our mind, the 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 vision of what we're going for—connection—instead of stopping the hitting, like going for connection, then we can get really creative about all the different parenting tools that we can use to move in close. You know, we might use play, we might use laughter, we might use. Um, You know, the tool we call "stay listening," which is moving in close and listening. We might set limits. There's lots of things that we might do, but the idea is that we can do it because we're noticing that the aggression is a call for help from a scared child. And if we can just connect with them, then that their their brain will calm. Right? They they their uh, radar of their limbic system will will notice that they're safe again. Their Mm -hmm. thinking brain will come back online and
2: Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. No
3: one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
0: Hmm. This can be, I mean, this is asking, this is like uh, advanced level parenting, right? Because this is incredibly hard for us as a a human animal, a mammal, right? Who also has a stress response and a, you know, a, a, A nervous system that's wired for survival. Hunter, I'm losing you. Oh well, it it's also really hard for us as a a human that has a nervous system wired for survival to um, to be that grounded presence if if another human being is hitting us, right? Like that. That it can, you know. A loose, a whole bunch of triggers for us, right? That whole idea of being aggressively hit at. So there's a whole bunch of backwork that goes beyond this, but I love this, um, idea of that.
1: Right. I think that's, I mean, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, I mean, that really kind of brings us to this, the topic of listening partnerships. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing, one thing that I want to say is that, and, and sometimes this comes as a surprise to parents is that what is triggering to you might not be triggering to your neighbor or your friend or Mm -hmm. your partner. So some people get super triggered by their child swearing at them, for example, calling them names, which, you know, you might, you parents out there might feel like you're the only one, but I have yet to meet a parent who hasn't been called something at some point. Um, Uh, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But for some of us, that's a huge trigger. Like we just lose it completely. And for some of us, it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, they're mad, but you know, we kind of get it and it's not a trigger. And for some of us, a child trying to hit us is a trigger like that. For some of us, a child lying to us is a trigger like that. Mm -hmm. For some of us, a child not doing their homework or um, not finishing the vegetables on their plate. I mean, there, there are a million different triggers. And depending on how we were hurt growing up and our experience as a parent, we're going to have different uh, things that kind of push us over the edge, mm-hmm. which is why it's important for us to stop and take a look and do that piece of um, personal healing. So the first step really is to notice, where do I get triggered? His parents will call me, and 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 they'll be you know flipped out, and they're they're I won't you know I don't know how rated what rating I can have on this on this podcast, but let's just say their child's calling them horrible names, right? Yeah, really you know bad words, and they are completely flipped out. Well, it doesn't bother me at all, and when I say it doesn't bother me at all, it doesn't mean that I think it's okay for my children to go around and calling me call me horrible names. All it means is that when my child is upset and he is, you know, releasing the hurt and the emotion. And in that comes these horrible words at me. I don't take it personally. I recognize what's going on. I let it go. I sort of put a bubble about around it. And then, you know, it ends and we just sort of close up that bubble and move forward. And people get worried. But then if you listen to these behaviors, if you listen to that swearing at you or whatever, aren't they just going to think it's okay to swear at you? And that's not in fact what happens. They don't swear at you outside of the emotional upset. That's not what happens. What they do is actually learn to really respect you because you're able to hold your own and stay calm in the face of their upset.
0: Mm. And and you could also you know, address that later at another time outside the bubble of the upset, right? As you describe it, you know, that...
1: I'm glad you said that, Hunter. Um, I get that question a lot, or that comment a lot. And I actually kind of respectfully disagree. <laughs> I mean, you, it's not that you can't, mm-hmm. you absolutely can. But I think that 99.9% of the time, we don't have to. Mm. In other words, if I were to ask you, do you think your daughters think it's okay to swear at you? You would say no. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would say no. And, and generally speaking, that's what every parent says when I ask, regardless of what the issue is, right? When that child's feeling connected and things are good and you're feeling close, like you, they know what, they know the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. They know they have to, turn their stuff in on time. They know they needed to empty the dishwasher. They knew it was their job this way. I mean, like they know all these things. They know it's not okay to hit. This is a big one with aggression, right? Like, do you have to talk about it afterwards? But if you ask your child, like, do you think it's okay to hit? That's really, mm-hmm. that's really coming from our own upset. Mm-hmm. Your child knows it's okay. I mean, and sorry, it's not mm-hmm. okay to hit. They, they do know that. Um, so I actually think that most of the time you don't have to have that conversation afterwards. It, it's really only for us. There are situations where I feel like it makes sense. Like for example, um, with swearing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think it's useful to educate. Like when, when little kids, they oftentimes will go through a period of time when they're, you know, they pick up from an older sibling or someone in school with an older sibling and they start using the you know, quote unquote bad words and they're, you know, throwing them around all over the place. and uh, I will coach parents, for example, to do things like create a safe space where you can swear and, and it's okay. So when my kids were going through it, we had our car. So on the way to school, we'd have like the swear fest. It's like, okay, there's nobody in the car, no carpool. We're going to roll up the windows and <laughs> say all the bad words you can, right? Um, and it's funny because like 90% of the words they said weren't even bad words. That's what I mean, right? That they're just like looking for it and they're experimenting with language and all of that stuff. Um, and, but in a situation that I've created for myself, that's comfortable. But after that, um, I would say, okay, we're going to, you know, when we get there, we drop you off at school. Um, you need to know that if you say, and I'm not going to say it on here because I know you can't, but let's just say it was it, it, I changed it to funky duck, but you can imagine what the F word and the D word Sure. Yeah, was that, that came home. Okay. So we we're playing with that. But I had to say to them, you know, I want you to know that I'm okay. We're playing with this. I understand, you know, it's funny, and you're figuring it out, and whatever, we have this safe place of our closed up car, we can do that. in. Um, I need you to know that if you do say that at school, there likely will be repercussions. Maybe you'd get sent to the principal's office, maybe your, your teacher would, you know, Reprimand you. I don't know whatever it was. And you know if you're at a if you're playing at a friend's house, like you're on a play date, and you start talking that way, um, it is possible that that family won't want to have you back. So that's a situation where I feel like it is important to educate because I'm doing something different in my house because I understand things a certain way that that I know that most people aren't, and I don't think it's fair to not give them that information.
0: Mm. But yeah. you see
1: how that differs a little bit from the I guess what the, I was thinking sort of, of like
0: <clears throat> I guess I was thinking of would just be to say that you know almost in an educational way you know like you know when you said what you know funky duck <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I felt really hurt you know and to to I think you know to model a way of of addressing, you know, my hurt feelings and to model a way of communicating that skillfully with somebody else, right? Um, But I I I take that it, you know, it doesn't maybe necessarily have to happen all the time. I'm going to ponder this one, Tasha, you're giving me food for thought.
1: (laughs) Okay, because I actually, I mean, I still, I'm still (laughs) going to (laughs) disagree. Because, because I feel like that work about being hurt by our child in that way is really our own work. Hmm because our child never wants to hurt us. Their intention is not to hurt us with their words, right? If they're spewing bad language at us in that way, it's because they're angry and upset. And I think what what I've seen happen, not I think, I know what I've seen happen, is that when I'm just able to bubble up, I like to imagine myself sort of in this spacesuit like I'm an astronaut, right? So it's like, okay, all these things are coming at me, but I'm protected mm-hmm. because I know that's not their essence. Mm-hmm. That that that's really my work. And what happens is that I, I then allow them to have that big emotional release. And emotional releases are ugly. I mean, it is like the it's emotional poop. It's yucky. It's all the 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 jives that they've had to deal with and the jabs that they've had to deal with and the and the hurts and the, you know, the somebody cutting in front of them in line and somebody not sharing with them and someone telling them they couldn't play with them at recess. And it's not getting the grade they wanted on the test. And it's their brother getting more attention. I mean, it's like all of these things they build up. And it's like a pressure cooker. It has to come out somewhere. And for me, like a child who's exploding at me, if my my boy's coming home and having a huge upset. Because there's this stain on his new shirt and he wants to return it and he's getting a different one and that's not fair and he's gonna tell them they didn't wash it and whatever it is, right? If I can just listen to that, even when it's like, you have to do this and you're, I hate you and you told me and blah, 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 then, then that's his place to have that big emotional release that isn't just about the stain on the shirt. It's about all those other things that I just listed. But you know what? He can't have that huge upset at school or at the store, or at his friend's house. He has to come home with it. And so that's actually a success. A child who's holding it together out in the world, but coming home and having these explosions, if we can create the safe space for that to happen, um, that's actually a really good thing. And it will lessen over time. It will lessen. It's Mm -hmm. not like I'm saying, okay, just gonna be like this forever. It's not, because that's healing that happens. And when those hurts get healed, Our child has much more access to their thinking brain and the behaviors actually shift. Like we start seeing less of that language, less of the hitting, less of the upsets when we get a stain on the shirt, easier time going to sleep.
0: Yeah. So you're saying to create that safe space, like to think about this relationship as a place for, for safety, that place where you w- no matter whatever is going on with you, you are accepted. And that acceptance itself is a thing that lessens all those difficulties and those hurts and those challenges.
1: Right. Well, the acceptance just uh, allows the emotional release to happen. And the emotional yeah. release is what allows the behaviors to change.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So So the talking doesn't generally get us very, very far, right? That's why, I mean, parents come to me, they probably come to you too. I mean, I've, you know, I've told him 400 times X, Y, or Z, right? I told him (laughs) not to hate his brother. I told him. um, uh, Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Well, telling him and having a talk about it is great. That's great. Okay, fine. Talk about it. And when you're sitting calm and you're talking about it, it's going to look like it's all going in and it is all going in and he gets it. But when he's in the heat of upset with his undeveloped brain, forget about it. All those conversations are, are, are not going to help in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me about. Because he's not. The speaking brain's offline, right? He's wearing yeah. that emotion. So what do we do with that emotion?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so tell
1: t- me about what. No, tell no, that's
0: okay. <laughs> you got a little cut off. So I jumped in. <laughs> but tell me about the listening partnerships.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, so, um, well, I I would feel completely irresponsible just sort of saying, yeah, go listen to your child in this way, set limits in this loving way, don't get mad when they call you a funky duck or whatever, (laughs) Um, because I know that's really hard to do. So how do we do that? Um, We teach parents to get an opportunity to have that emotional release as well. So essentially, it's the same kind of thing we were just talking about, but for ourselves, because it is that emotional release that allows us to shift our behaviors. And um, I'll, I'll just share, like I said, at the beginning, I would share this personal anecdote, because I'm, I'm working through this bit of emotional work right now. And um, I have just had some epiphanies about it late, late in the last few days that have just been amazing. Um, so uh, well, when I mentioned this to you, I think, before off offline, that I moved back to this country after three years living abroad, we moved back, about eight months ago. And it's been an incredibly difficult transition for me. Um, Incredibly difficult. Like, I mean, it's been like one of the most difficult years of my life. And I've just been drowning in loneliness, mostly. Loneliness and helplessness. This feeling of like, I feel horrible and it's never going to end. I don't know how it's Mm -hmm. ever, ever going to end. I just don't see an end. And I'm the kind of person that's like, I can deal with hardship and hard times. And when I deal with, as long as I know, like, okay, I'm going to get through this. <laughs> there is an end, right? But that feeling of like, no end, have no idea. Um, and, and it just, it just, you know, was dragging me down. And so I was having a listening partnership. And a listening partnership is simply um, a really, accepting way of listening to people, listening to one another. So the person who's the listener really just listens without judgment. So there's no, um, no kind of feedback in the way that you would in a normal conversation, no empathy in the way that we normally would in the sense of, Oh yeah, you know, that happened to me too. Or I totally get what you mean. You know, when my dad died, I felt that way too, or whatever it is. You don't, you don't bring it back around to being about you. Uh, you also don't give advice, so um, and you really what you do is you just pour in your love and acceptance and trust in that other person's intelligence and their ability to find their way out. And it's it's hard to do at first because we're so used to interacting in different in a different way. Like in you know we sit down and have coffee with a, a girlfriend or something. Um, if we if we were to just listen in this way, our girlfriend would be like, "Hey, what's wrong with you? Like, hello, are you okay?" <laughs> but when we when we do this purposely, we go into it intentionally. It designs this safe space, very similar, if not exactly the same, actually, as the space that I was talking about um, creating for our little, you know, our little children yeah, or our older children. It's mindful listening. It's, it is. It is similar to mindful listening. It is similar to mindful listening. And so you just listen and you create that safe space for the other person to be able to feel their way through the hurts and the upset. Now, what what happens is that there's sort of maintenance listening partnerships that 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 I you know that I can do which will get me through the the week of just like the upsets of oh my God, like I'm like exhausted and this person flaked on me and my kid got in trouble at school. And you know whatever, all that stuff that just sort of those annoyances that we have to deal with but the but the bits that influence our inability, for example, to listen to our child when they're up when they're upset are deeper hurts than that, and so when we take more time, we can get down I like to think of the analogy actually like like a pile of books, right? so if we talk about my my loneliness, so on the top, it's about the top book on the top of my stack of books is like what I think I'm working on, which is I really miss my friends where I was. I really miss my friends and my, the people I saw every day and my family and my community. Like That's what this is about. But if I dig down to the, that bottom level book, right, the one at the bottom of the stack, the one that if I pull out that whole stack of books is going to tumble, that's something that happened much earlier in my life. And so my listening partner And the part B of listening partnerships when you get more advanced is you actually help the person you're listening to move towards the feelings. You notice where are those tender spots and you actually help to guide them in different ways towards that. And my listening partner said to me, like, if, if you had to just take a wild guess, a wild guess at a time when you felt hopeless when you were a child, you know, lonely and hopeless, I know you feel like you don't know, but like, because she'd asked me before, but like, if you had to take a wild guess what that was about, what would that be about? What do you think that would be? And I went back actually to my parents' divorce when I was five. Now, my story that I tell to myself is very like, you know, my parents had an amicable divorce. It wasn't a bad divorce or anything like that, but still my parents got divorced. I was five. My whole world got rocked, right? And Actually, um, my name Tasha is only my has only been my name since I was five because one of the ways that I dealt with that divorce and the hopelessness and the loneliness that, that you know set in as a result was that I changed my name. I like locked up the me that was before and I changed my name to Tasha and moved forward. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I was able to like when I when I when she helped me go back there. I was able to just sob and my father died while we were away these three years when we were away. And so this is the first time I've been back in the States with him not being here. And so I was just able to sob about missing my dad, missing him now, missing him when I was five, missing him for my whole childhood. Right. Um, And I, this was last Monday, Monday morning and Tuesday, was the first day in the eight months since I've been back that I actually felt like, I'm going to get through this. Hmm. I'm going to get through this. And I started to feel like I was more present in my body again, Hmm. like rather than I was on the outside looking in going, gosh, Tasha, like life is good. You know, you have this work you love. You have a family who loves you and who you love. Everybody's healthy, you know, knock on wood. Um, you know, I mean, things are good. It's beautiful out, but like trying to convince myself that I should feel good. I started to feel a little bit good. Hmm. And just to be clear, it wasn't like this one half hour of sobbing. It was a year of being committed to doing this five days a week working Hmm. on this. It took me that long, a little bit of time each day to get to that deeper level and to understand, okay, this is really about something else. And I knew it, but I couldn't get there. And when I was ready and had the right guidance, I could get there. And like this, and, and now my behavior is shifting, even in my parenting, because you know you know this, when we're feeling horrible, I mean, you're doing a whole like challenge about this, I think, or you do, you do a whole challenge about this, mm-hmm. I believe, right? Like when we're not taking care of ourselves and we're not what I call in good parenting shape, we can't respond to the off-track behaviors that our little ones show us with patience and calm and love. We can't. No, no. So my parenting this year has been really challenging. Situations that normally would be like a piece of cake for me are, are really throwing me off balance. And all of a sudden, I feel like I can stand up. I have my feet on there I'm balanced again. I can walk across the beam.
0: Hmm. Wow, cool. It's almost like... Uh... Partner therapy in a way, it's like listening and thoughtful, intense questions. Yes, wow. Mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. wow, that's really that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I imagine it, that it takes a, a deep relationship to be able to do that for one another, or
1: oh, a deep
0: intention for sure.
1: It takes safety, mostly, yeah. it takes safety. I mean, one thing that people find interesting, you know, in my community, I have people all over the world, and they come in, they're not knowing each other at all. And we very quickly build these intense, you know, relationships. And and part of why we're able to do that is because there's a confidentiality agreement. And so nothing gets talked about outside. Mm -hmm. So it just stays there. We set a timer during listening partnerships. And when that timer goes off, like, that's it, doors are closed. If I want to talk about my own stuff, I can do that. But the person who is listening can't talk about it, not with a partner not anywhere. Like it just stays there. It just stays there. And so you're able to build safety that you can't necessarily build in an everyday relationship, even with close friends, because you um, might accidentally slip up and say something or, you know, the the relationship can get a little bit gray if you're doing listening partnerships, but you're also best friends and you pick up your kids at the same time from preschool school and you might, you know, go out to coffee and you forget, gosh, wait, didn't she talk about that in a listening partnership? Or was that, you know, something, a pickup that she was telling me about? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. then things can get a little bit sloppy. So it's actually a safety that's built, I find more easily with people who aren't necessarily in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Yeah. I have and- listening partnerships with people who I, I never see, like literally, who are like literally on the other side of the world in various countries.
0: And it circles right back to what boys need. They need this listening. They need, you know, and we need to give ourselves what we want to give our children, right? If we we cannot give what we do not have.
1: Right. Um, Modeling.
0: Tasha, it's been so lovely to talk to you. I really appreciate you diving deep and sharing the way you've shared in this conversation. I think it's really wonderful. Um, Where can people find out more about you?
1: Uh, people can find out about me on my website. It's Toshashore.com. T-O-S-H-A-S-C-H-O-R-E. Awesome. And, and
0: I really appreciate it. I think it's been wonderful to talk to you. And I'm, I'm so glad that we get to, we can share this experience and, and help, help healing spread. It's really amazing. So thank you so very much.
1: Me too. Thank you so much for having this podcast and for inviting me on. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I mean, it's this, this whole idea of looking at bad behavior as a cry for help is so helpful, right? To kind of take that step back and look at things differently. Uh, that the whole um, the emphasis on listening really is so uh, so vital, right? We tend to be so reactive and active. We have to. When we're uncomfortable, we just have to act. And sometimes we just need to stop and listen, listen to ourselves, listen to each other. So, so much valuable stuff in here. So I hope that you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you'll sign up and join me for the free live training coming up, Mindful Parenting free training, September 16th through 19th, 2019. Sorry, folks, if you're listening in the future, but you can always check and see what's happening. And uh, and sign up at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash free training. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com free training. And then we'll connect live. I can't wait to see you. They're all, the trainings are recorded too. You'll have a, a, some access to them if you can't make it live. But it's great to make it live and really connect in person. All right. Wishing you a beautiful, lovely week, my friend. And I will be back in your ears next week. Take care. Namaste.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters.